real hard. <laughs> Another episode of Jackman Radio. I'm your host, Mike Jackman. And your host, Eric Jackman. And today has been all David Bowie all the time. Uh, very shocked and saddened to hear about the passing of one of the greatest musicians and artists of all time. And uh, I have a little tribute here that I just wrote up today after uh, finding out that he died. <clears throat> I'll do my best to get through it. Anyone who is aware of his genius remembers their first time being exposed to David Bowie. For me, it was a boy in the early 1990s at my local video rental store in Ashland, Massachusetts. There was a poster on the wall for the film Labyrinth, which I was drawn to. What was I looking at? I would soon come to learn it was David Bowie as Jareth, the Goblin King. After convincing my mom to rent it for me, I watched it several times and was in awe of the magic of the story, scenery, Jennifer Connelly, and of course the soundtrack. I still love the ballroom scene where Jareth is dancing with Sarah to As the World Falls Down, in a sea of costume revelers masquerading around a demented fantasy landscape. That film was a big part of my childhood, and I would discover much more about the man through listening to his collaboration with Queen on Under Pressure, and from there exploring his catalog and films. Whether it was his first hit, Space Oddity, or The Celestial Starman, David Bowie was a pop chameleon not afraid to dabble in and create multiple genres who had inspired innumerable artists since the 1960s. Passing away on Sunday, January 10th, at the age of 69, following an 18-month battle with cancer, Bowie leaves behind a body of work that will be enjoyed and fascinated over for generations to come. His 25th and final studio album, and Farewell to the World, Black Star, came out on his birthday just two days before his death. Bowie always came across as a cool, otherworldly being who couldn't be labeled or confined, confined to a specific box. He was constantly reinventing himself and challenging pop culture with his words and his style. My personal favorite song of his, which we've played on the podcast, is Heroes. Heroes was featured prominently in the fantastic 2012 film The Perks of Being a Wallflower and became an anthem celebrating and honoring 9-11 first responders at the epic concert for New York in 2001, in which he performed. Written in Germany about two lovers embracing at the Berlin Wall, the sonic textures and distant guitars demonstrate how unique, yet relatable, his sound was. 
the funky, soulful, and infinitely catchy Young Americans, which we played as the intro tonight, is also a favorite of mine. There's a refrain that alludes back to A Day in the Life, I Heard the News Today, Oh Boy, by the Beatles, and John Lennon even co-wrote the song Fame, which appeared on the same album. Around the same time I was getting into Bowie's music, Nirvana was huge, and I discovered their cover of The Man Who Sold the World for the Unplugged album in New York. I've always enjoyed popular songs like Ashes to Ashes, China Girl, Let's Dance, and Ziggy Stardust, but I'm also intrigued by Bowie's electronica output in the 1990s, which marked a departure from previous work with such releases as 1995's Outside that included the song I'm Deranged, which was fittingly used in the 1997 David Lynch film Lost Highway. I remember enjoying his collaboration with Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails on the track I'm Afraid of Americans, which had a twisty and paranoid music video to accompany it. Labyrinth may have been his most well-known film, but he also appeared in a variety of other interesting projects, including a surreal and hilarious cameo in Zoolander. As an aging vampire in the erotic horror classic The Hunger, as FBI agent Philip Jeffries in Twin Peaks' Fire Walk With Me, and as the mysterious Nikola Tesla in the 2006 release The Prestige, just to name a few. Though none of those films were necessarily Oscar contenders, Bowie brought real depth and presence to each appearance. His music videos were always mini uh, cinematic events, and he pushed, he pushed the creativity and artistry to new realms. I would encourage everyone tonight interested to do some YouTube relay with his videos and get lost in the vortex. With his influence and legacy felt everywhere, we've lost the man who gave us Ziggy Stardust, the Thin White Duke, the Goblin King, and more importantly, the affirmation that it was okay to be different and to march to the beat of your own drum. Is there life on Mars? I think Bowie already knew the answer, and it's quite possible he's taken up residency there. Oh, that's very nice. Hmm. So that's yeah. a little and something. I forgot he was Tesla. <coughs> yeah, he was yeah, Tesla. That was so awesome. That was yeah. really cool, man. That was, that's got to be one of the best cameos ever. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. a small little... Yeah. little uh, Role. I mean, he's tons. I mean, he he played uh, Andy Warhol at one point yeah. in a movie. He was a good yeah. actor, I thought. Yeah, he had he, jobs. Yeah. You know, it was sparingly done, right. but it was right. it was tastefully done. And any any uh, Last Temptation of Christ by Scorsese, he was in that. I didn't, you know, there's a ton of stuff in that little thing that I just wrote there that I didn't get to mention, and I it can't encapsulate and encompass his entire career. But that's just kind of my own personal reflections and feelings on David Bowie. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. And, yeah, uh, no, that was definitely from the heart, very, very heartfelt. And he's uh, been around for forever too, like since I can remember. Like yeah. I've always, always heard his name. Right. And it was never like growing up. Like it was never like he wasn't like classic rock or like you know I didn't. He never didn't no. really. They didn't play him on like classic rock stations. Really, he was more than classic rock, dude. He, I, you know, different genres, and he created his own genres, really. And yeah. I think with, even with his new album, Black Star. Which came out two days before That's he died. That's crazy too. I think that. So yeah. I mean, have you? So you've listened to it? Yeah, I've listened to not the whole album, but I've listened to the track Lazarus and the track title track Black Star. Yeah. And also watched the music videos. And mm. man, it's like uh, he just he just because I mean, he essentially did it like while he was dying. Yeah, he was. It was basically a documentation of him dying yeah. and a um, just a goodbye to everybody. Uh, oh last... yeah, he knew he was dying. Yeah. Oh, very. So small. how do we, How long did he have? cancer and then how long did like 
like how because he kept it no one really knew no one knew right? yeah. Yeah. he doesn't give interviews he hasn't given interviews right in but you would, 10 think, plus you would years. think someone would have latched months, onto right? something they didn't leak yeah. it I mean he was I diagnosed mean, 18 months ago yeah he fought cancer for 18 months he did have open heart surgery uh, I think in the last 10 to 12 years so there were rumors about his health and mm. they always insisted he's in good health and Tony Visconti the fellow who produced his last two albums including the 2013 release the next day which also came on his birthday which is kind of interesting and the new one came on his birthday too, and uh, two days later he's gone. I mean, it's uh, it's sad. I think yeah. a lot of people out there are really feeling this one, and this is like the loss of a Beatle or the loss of a true icon. Um, you know, only sixty nine years old, and uh, I do have a top ten list here. I know we do the top tens, and uh, I just off the top of my head, you know, my top ten favorite Bowie songs. So um, before we get to our special guest host Colin, who we'll be talking about, I want to. Uh, Go through those quickly, okay. Number ten, China Girl. That's yeah, a good one. Great you know, song. Classic, catchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number nine, and after I saw Labyrinth, when I started to listen to Bowie's music, this is the song that kind of got me into his whole catalog. Under Pressure, with mm. Queen. So good. I like. But, uh, I prefer Vanilla Isis. Vanilla Isis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would, Mike. Yeah, yeah. the ranchers out in <laughs> out west. Oregon. Vanilla Isis. Vanilla Isis. <laughs> Number eight, Changes. Great tune. Cha-cha changes. Exactly. Turn and face the strange. Number seven, Let's Dance. Oh, yeah. Catchy. Classic tune. Number six, Space Oddity, which kind of kicked things off for him. I think he was still known as Davy Jones at that point, or he didn't want to be confused with the guy from the Monkees. Yeah. So that's why he came right. up with Bowie. Yeah, he didn't want to be insulted. Uh, number five, The Man Who Sold the World, uh, which I think was f- from the movie uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Another. It another sounds f- right, actually, yeah. He played like an alien. Right. I've been, it's Bowie been in my queue forever, but I just never watched it. Bowie looked like a fucking alien. He, he looked like... Galaxy. Yeah, he would play a good his... alien. I could see him being Yeah, he didn't alien. even need any yeah. makeup. You know, it was incredible. Uh, number four, I'm Deranged, which I mentioned in the little uh, write-up there, which was from the film Lost Highway when he was kind of doing the electronica experimental stuff in the 90s. So that's a cool tune. Number three, uh, we open with this one tonight, Young Americans. Great tune, catchy. He's got some of that soul, blue-eyed soul, and, and funk thing going on. Number two from the Labyrinth soundtrack, "As the World Falls Down." Very feel good. Which I mentioned, it's just a huge part of our childhood. Yeah, I go, I, I go, I never left the Labyrinth. That's what I said to Aaron before we started recording. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I never returned to it. I'm like, yeah, I never left it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that, just magic. Jim beautiful. Henson workshop magic. Yeah. And number one, Heroes. Yeah. Um, that song's forty years, forty plus years old now at this point. And it just encapsulates the time that he was in Germany uh, working with Tony Visconti, who produced his last two albums. And, uh, you know, just a just a beautiful song and means a lot to a lot of people. It's been around for a while and my band does a cover of it. And uh, I look forward to playing it in our next show as a tribute to David Bowie. So tonight's episode is dedicated to David Bowie. Beautiful, Mike. Well, very nice. Well, we're very excited tonight because the State of the Union is tomorrow. Uh, President Obama delivering, I think this is it, his last one. His sixth and final State his of the Union. His last State of the Union. Um, and we have a very special guest calling in from Washington, uh, Mr. Tyrell Ventura, the son of Jesse the Body Ventura and host of a TV program on Russia today called Watching the Hawks with Sean Stone and Tabitha Wallace. Uh, Tyrell's done some awesome stuff in the last year, so we're going to basically have him deliver his own State of the Union. So don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be back with more Jackman Radio and Tyrell Ventura's State of the Union. 
Welcome back to Jackman Radio. We are very excited to welcome back to the program Mr. Tyrell Ventura, the host of Watching the Hawks on RT America, live from Washington, D.C. Tyrell, how you doing tonight, man? I am good. I am good. Just finished another, uh, another fantastic episode of the Hawks and uh, back here at my apartment and uh, happy to be talking with you guys and talking the 2015 year in review. Absolutely. Uh, Exactly. This is his sixth and final uh, State of the Union, Tyrell, and we wanted to have you on to give the Tyrell Ventura State of the Union. And I, I think, you know, I think tomorrow night you're going to see President Obama, you know, try and touch maybe on gun control, on ISIS, on terrorism, on maybe the 2016 election, the way things are going. How do you see it, Tyrell? What, what, do, you, what do you envision President Obama talking about and what's your take on it? Recently, Obama was at a press conference talking about executive actions for gun control, and he he welled up kind of crying, talking about the uh, children that died in the Sandy Hook massacre. But I mean, do you do you kind of do you agree with the sentiment, Tyrell, that I have that it's kind of weird to see him do that when his drone po- policy has killed so many innocent uh, Muslim children around the world uh, directly from him? I mean, well, that was the because it is, it's, 
notion about those innocent civilians that were killed with the drone program, which I think we all can safely say is Obama's drone program. Yes. Uh, he's the one that ramped it up. He's the one that made it the priority. He's the one that, that made you know our use of drones overseas uh, you know, such a what I say too. I didn't vote for Obama. I voted for uh, Cynthia McKinney the first time around and Rosa Clemente. But I really, I think deep down maybe Obama is a good guy and he tried to, you know, get some things done. And, you know, we've had such a divided, divided America in the last six, seven months of this campaign. And I think we have to highlight some of the good things or what appear to be good things, such as the, uh, you know, uh, reestablishment of relations with Cuba. What's your take on that? I think that's amazing. I, I think that that's one of the... I remember when that happened, it was right around the time we started watching the Hawks, actually, and I remember, if I'm not mistaken, there, you know, everyone was kind of talking about kind of Tulsa, all, all the other mainstream news was kind of talking about Tulsa's news, that like, who's announcing the run for candidacy, uh, when truthfully this historic moment took place of, of relaxing those relations with Cuba, which I never... Uh, I'll put it to you like this. I was very happy that my father got to see that. I was very happy that my father's lifetime, he was able to see that change uh, because that, you know, the Cold War uh, and the idiocy of it, um, you know, really had a profound effect on that generation that came before us. And for them to be able to see that kind of olive branch extended uh, and also, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it also proved very much that you have to give it, whether you agree with them or not, you have to give it the Fidel. He outlasted how many U.S. presidents? Yeah, every president <laughs> since Eisenhower. Eisenhower. You know, yeah, I'm not necessarily the fan of communism, but, you know, and, and, and it's a fact on people, but, but I, I, I won't give credit where credit's due, and, and the, <laughs> the, the will uh, that Fidel Castro showed to survive going up against, you know, the constant terrorism, the constant, you know, uh, sanctions and all of that that we put on we put on Cuba was just pretty incredible and, and, and it's good to see that in his lifetime uh, those things are finally being relaxed and we're doing what we should be doing which is talking and communicating because the moment you stop talking with another country or hard that may be is the moment that leads to war you have to continue communicating you have to continue uh, you know working out deals uh, it's not weak uh, because ultimately the goal should be no loss of life or no oppression and, um, you know, if, you, if there is a brutal dictator and things like that, you want to try to remove that dictator from power. 
absolutely. And obviously, you mentioned your father, uh, Jesse Ventura. He actually traveled to Cuba and met with Fidel Castro. And I, I don't know. I don't know if he ever met Hugo Chavez, but a, another associate of yours, uh, Sean Penn, was actually friends with Hugo Chavez. And in the news recently, is Sean Penn's uh, trip to meet with El Chapo. I don't know if you. Yeah. I don't know if you've been able to discuss that with him at all, or if you've been in touch with him in recent. I, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, but I, I, I think that, that. I think that the people coming out and attacking Sean for being a journalist, I think, and especially when other journalists are attacking him, I think is, is very hypocritical rather laughable because I, I think that any journalist worth their salt, uh, if they tell you that they wouldn't, if given the opportunity, interview uh, a news figure like like Guzman, you know, they, they would jump at the chance. Uh, and anybody who says otherwise is either being dishonest as a journalist or is being, uh, you, know, to, you know, to journalism, or they're just plain being dishonest because secretly they would have jumped at the chance. And I think a lot of what you're seeing is a lot of jealousy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and also the, the, you know, the idiocy of the drug war in full effect. Because, you know, people like Guzman aren't created unless you have a drug war that's, you know, running rampant. Right, and you, you have to have the demand. I mean, I don't know if you read the Rolling Stone piece that Sean Penn did, but, you know... Basically, El Chapo exists because you have the demand. You have, you know, yeah. going back to when he was 15 years old, he was working in the fields on poppy and working in the fields on marijuana, and that's the only life he's ever yeah. known. So, I mean, yeah. that's why it exists. Well, and that's the thing. That's that. That's where understanding and communication is the key because you have to, you know, you you, you don't have to like somebody. You don't have to say, oh, I totally agree with all the horrible things they've done in their life. No, not at all. But you do have to understand that. You do have to say, all right, well, what led to this? And if we can prevent what led to this, if we can prevent what led to this kind of violence and this kind of, you know, drug violence that this guy has, has perpetrated over the years, then you can change it to where the next kid growing up doesn't have to become him, doesn't have to live that life. Right, right. And, know, and, and then you save that kid. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't know the man, I've never met him, but I'm sure that he's got, you know, he, he can... You know, he says everything is business, and, and, and that's how his mind deals with it. But any human being who's been responsible for violence the way he has, uh, at the end of the day, I'd, I'd be really hard-pressed to see if they didn't have demons at the end of the day that haunt them. Yeah, that's uh, and why, why subject another innocent, part, innocent kid growing up if that's the only way out of that world that they live in? You know, we got to change that world. If you don't change that world through violent and oppressive drug war, Absolutely. No, one thing the United States can do, which I hope we'd like to see in our lifetimes, Tyrell, is have a different posture with the war on drugs and kind of take a decriminalization approach to all drugs, because that, that would kick the cartels in the teeth. Well, I, I, I think that's one of the biggest, you talk about State of the Union, I think that's one of the biggest stories of, our, of the U.S. this last year was the, the relaxing and, uh, you know, the final, you know, it, it starts with marijuana. Yes. You know, that it's not abused, that it doesn't just become a corporate empire where it turns into cigarettes. 
Right, and, and, and just a year ago, Tyrell, uh, uh, President Obama said in his State of the Union last year that uh, tonight is the first time since 9-11 that our, mis- our combat mission in Afghanistan is over. And yet, to- <laughs> I mean, today we still have 15,000 troops in Iraq and Afghanistan, which is down from the 180,000 when Obama took office after the, the Bush regime. Um, but to say to turn the page, I think, is a little disingenuous or a little premature. Of course it is, of course it is, because, you know, when you go into a region and you destabilize the entire region, uh, what do you expect? You know, you can't, you can't solve it, like, you know, you can't solve it that quickly and easily. Uh, it's funny, I think I, I was reading a story the other day that uh, it came out that we've dropped upwards of 20,000 bombs on Muslim uh, countries in the, you know, in the last so many years. 20,000 bombs. Wow. Now, we've dropped that many bombs on a place, and it's better, maybe it's time we have to start rethinking and reevaluating our, our program. Maybe it's time we need to step back and say, you know what, 20,000 bombs later, nothing's really that much better. In fact, it's probably got a whole lot worse. Maybe dropping bombs isn't working. Right. Hmm. This is how we, this is in fact how we create terrorism and how we create, uh, you know, Islamic, uh, you know, extremism. Yeah, and that, that kind of, I want to, that's a great segue, Tyrell, and what I want to talk to you about, um, State of the Union, uh, the, this current, th- this is this is the worst that I've seen, and you can probably agree with this since 9/11, of anti-Islamic rhetoric and the fear mongering being revved up by the, the corporate media and the politicians and the candidates. I mean, talk a little bit about how you're handling this as a journalist for RT and kind of what you're seeing other people in the media doing with respects to it and, and what kind of atmosphere it's creating. Well, it, it's creating a very dangerous atmosphere because, it, and and the worst thing about it is, I think I would even venture to say, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think half of the the you know ex, you know half of the the anger being vented on the campaign trail about you know Islam and, and that and that division that you're talking about, I think half of that's just purely trying to play to people's base fears and people's base it, it's not even I, I bet half these guys don't even believe half the crap they're saying they're no. just saying it because it's caused them you know make believe political points exactly and that's what's even worse about it you know it's, I, I don't like racism I don't like any of those things they're disgusting you know vile aspects of human nature uh, but in, in, a, in a I'll say this it's rather bizarre but I if, if someone is, is born and raised in a culture of racism I can understand I don't agree with it, and I dislike it, but I understand why they're racist. But what's even worse than someone who's born in a culture of racism, who's racist because of it, is someone who adopts racism for, for popularity. Yeah. You know, where they don't actually probably really believe it, but they're doing it because it gives them political points, that's even worse. Yeah, well, that... You know, that... In my mind, I mean, it's all worse at the end of the day, but to me it's like someone pretending to be that just to get elected is even worse. Yeah, it's turning into that. The, the Republican primary, I mean, you know, Cruz, Christie, Carson, Trump, all those guys are just trying to out-xenophobe each other, and it's turned into a, just yeah. a fear-mongering... Yeah, and, 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 it's, and it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It is I ridiculous. Mean, your chances of being killed by a terrorist in general <laughs> is, you, know, you still have a greater chance of being hit by lightning. You do. You yeah, absolutely crime do. Crime in this country has dropped in the last... You know, ten some odd, more probably more twenty some odd years. It's dropping. <laughs> you know, we don't have to live in fear constantly that there's a terrorist hiding under our beds. No. And as you've stated, and as I've stated many times, 
the reason that we have a problem with terrorism is because of our foreign policy. So maybe instead of you know talking about building walls or going after a group of religious people uh, for what a small fraction of that religion is doing, and that's not even part of that you know majority of, of the Muslim religion. It's actually very you know you talk to normal everyday regular practicing Muslims, they're not violent jihadists, they're not people who want to see other people killed, they're no different than normal practicing everyday Christians. Right. You know, it's a small minority who's using religion to recruit and using religion as an excuse to be beat violent and, and spread fear and hate and spread a political ideology that realistically has nothing to do with their religion. They're just using it as a tool. The way all, you know, the way all faith is, is corrupted and used as a tool for, for, for negative at times and throughout history. Yeah, and so when you when you spread a xenophobia about people, that's very dangerous ground you're walking on very thin ice. Uh, right. Because that can only spread to then other religions and then it spreads to other ways of life and then before you know it, you know, everybody's locked down. Yeah, it's like I mean we have over a billion Muslims on planet Earth. I mean, are they all are they all friggin' extremists and terrorists? There'd no, be a lot not more. At all, not yeah, at all. And I, I think it's very disingenuous when the media or politicians try to paint that picture uh, to score ratings points or score political points because it's it's it's, it's, it's you know it's no different than when you when you see you know the Christians that come forward and say, look, we're not all people trying to bomb abortion clinics. Right. You know, know, uh, very you know, true. It's, it's no different than that. It's no different than that. And, 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 you know, most normal religious practicing people are good people who practice their faith, don't bother other people, and have their set of beliefs and go about their lives. And that's, yeah, that's the majority. Right. That, but that's... this self focus on the minority of one religion or another is, is very dangerous. Right. Unless you're trying to paint the picture of saying, look, this is crazy. And if you hear people telling you this, don't listen to them. Yeah, and that's you know, that, it, yeah. If you're gonna talk about it, talk about it in that sense. Don't talk about it and then try to paint the picture of the rest of the religion in that. Right, poisoning the well or or, or, the, or you know the apple cart. Um, so yeah. Ty, so Tyrell, what do you? I mean, I've seen on some uh, an earlier episode of Watching the Hawks, you guys kind of handicapped the 2016 election. Who do you see ultimate? Who do you see ultimately getting the GOP nomination? And do you think that the GOP establishment is going to use? Uh, backdoor deals and dirty tricks to try and get Trump out of there because I got to tell you, man, up in New Hampshire, man, on the ground right now, Trump's at 35 points. He's way far ahead in first place, and I, I don't really see him not winning the New Hampshire primary. Who do you think ultimately getting I, the nomination? From the Republican side, honestly, I think the way it's kind of shaping up, I think that, that, that it's, I, I mean, barring a, a, a surge by somebody, I mean, I don't know, maybe suddenly Ted Cruz comes forward as the guy, but. I, I think it's probably going to end up being Trump. I mean, it, it's so early in the game still that, to, you know, I mean, we haven't even had the initial primary votes yet, so it's really early in the game to tell. But, you know, I never would have thought he would have gotten this far. I think he shocked everybody in that way. But <laughs> Trump's a master at playing the media and playing, you know, keeping his name in the papers every day, keeping his name on the, you know, front uh, search engines every day and on Yahoo and uh, all those. But, you know, he's, he's, he's that guy. He can, he can manipulate the media to keep his name in the keep his name being spoken and the more people are speaking his name the more his numbers go up but we got to understand too that you know i just saw a, a recent uh poll the other day that showed that the independence in this country is on the rise it's at like some 41 42 percent of people now declare themselves independent of a political party uh both the other parties are on a steady decline i think the democrats are at like 26 
Republicans are at like 23, if I, I could be wrong, by, but not by much. And when, and when you see that decline, you kind of remember that, okay, Trump's up by, let's say, New Hampshire, 35, I don't know the exact, you know, how everything breaks down in that state, but when you see Trump leading the polls of Republicans, remember that's, you know, 26, 30% of 26%. Yeah, it's smaller. <laughs> right. You know, that's a really small margin of people when you start it breaking it down. Uh, and, you know, so if Trump is their guy, uh, they end up going with him, or truthfully, a lot of the other guys that are at the top of that list, uh, I don't think they have a chance in hell of actually winning the election. I think because it's Hillary. I don't, see, I don't see them appealing to, in order to win a presidential election, you have to get the middle. You have to win the 41% independence. And in a two-party dictatorship that we live under, uh you have to get that middle. And I don't see Trump or Cruz or any of these other guys getting that middle. I, I just don't see them doing it. So I, I think they're, and plus, you gotta look at the trends. Most of the time, the country does not like to put one party in charge of all. And right now, if a, if a Republican got put in the, in, into the presidency, that means the Republicans are on the presidency and both houses of Congress, if I'm not mistaken. And you generally don't see the country do that. They usually like to kind of just by instinct have a balance. Uh, even though us in the know know that there really isn't a balance, well, the two parties are basically the same thing. Uh, right. But at least, you know, for the average everyday person who's not aware of these things, uh, you know, they want to see a balance. And so I think very strongly you're going to have the Democrat win this year, which I will, I will say, I'll go out on a, I, I don't think I'm going out on a limit saying, I, I honestly think that you're going to see a change, and I think you're going to see uh, either, I, I, think you, if you, I think that you're probably going to see Bernie Sanders get the nomination. Now, really? Now, you talk about, you know, skullduggery and, 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 and uh, conniving and scheming uh, to keep someone from getting a nomination, I think actually you're going to see that more on the Democrat side than you're going to see it on the Republican side. Wow. And um, I was very excited to see my friend um, Gary Johnson, who I worked for um, last time around and supported uh, while he was a Republican. And then when he made the jump to um, the libertarian uh, nominating process, jump in the race the other day. What are your thoughts on Gary Johnson? I think Gary's a great candidate. I think Gary's a great libertarian candidate. I think he did very well the last time. I think Gary is honest about his beliefs. I think that the you know, you can you can trust that what generally you can trust what Gary says is going to be what what you know what he believes, uh, which is all you can ask for right. uh, out of a candidate. You know, no, I think I think Gary's a very strong choice for the Libertarian candidates uh, this year. I think they also have whether it was a McAfee is also in that race. Yeah, kind of bizarre. <laughs> yeah, he's an interesting. He's a color. He's a very colored figure. Yeah, yeah, the, the Donald Trump of the Libertarian Party, I guess. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No. He's he's got a pretty mysterious background. Well. Yeah. I think there's going to be 25 other people seeking the Libertarian um, nomination. And of course, you know, I got to ask you about your dad. Is he giving it serious thought, or where where, where is he on this? My dad, my, you know, my dad. Yeah, you know, he, he always, you know, he, you know, he says what's on his mind, and, and you know, he's he's definitely. I know he's contemplated it. He's thinking about it. But I can't I can't say that he is or isn't or anything like that right now. Uh, I don't have any inside scoop on that, truthfully. Sure. Um, you know, but uh, I know that he's very happy doing his off-the-grid show and, and, and things like that, but uh, you never know with my dad. You never know. Right. Uh, destiny comes a-knocking with somebody. I <laughs> uh, wouldn't, uh, you know, decide that, hey, you know, this might be this might be the right time in the right place. But uh, I know that right now he's still not considering it because, uh, 
Right. I and, don't know how well that will coincide with the libertarian nomination or, or and things like that, but uh, yeah, that's an interesting egg that way because he's kind of a libertarian with a small L. Uh, and, and so it would be interesting to see uh, if, if uh, you know, how that plays out. Yeah, that's um, the Memorial Day is when the libertarians are going to have their convention, and uh, absolutely no, Jesse's got that strong libertarian streak, and you have the people in the camp who are purists who want someone to be totally libertarian and not budge at all. But um, I don't know. I, I I've told. I, I, I don't think you can be in today's age because again, you have to try to get that independent voter in the middle. Right. I think. You know, I think by and large, most of us, in, in one way or another, which libertarians generally are, you know, most of us are. You know, fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Right. And 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 you, you know you kind of you can't have you know, there's never going to be a perfect candidate. Let's be honest. No. There's never going to be that one person that perfectly you know perfectly resent. Very rarely do you see a candidate that's perfectly Republican or perfectly Democrat or perfectly Green or perfectly mm-hmm. Libertarian. You know, you're never really going to find that perfect candidate. Uh, and so you try to vote for the one you feel uh, best represents. Uh, everybody under the umbrella, or at the end of the day, especially for president, can best represent the country. And I think we got to remember that when voting for president, it's not just about the parties; it's about who is best for the country right now. Yeah, that, that's true. And and uh, you know, we kind of grapple with that for the primary. I mean, uh, you know, the New Hampshire primary, you really who you vote for, it has an impact. And Eric and I decided this time around for the primary, anyways, we're going to endorse Rand Paul. He's not perfect. He's not a mirror image of his father. But what do you think about Rand Paul, Tyrell? Well, that's the, that's the weird conundrum I have with Rand is that uh, I, I I tend to like his dad a little bit better on, on many things. Uh, Rand has been a little bit of a war hawk at times, which kind of surprised me, uh, you know, a few times. But then at the same time, he's also the guy up there actually talking about drones and talking about, you know, pulling people out. Uh, and, and talking about getting out of the Middle East and things like that. So Rand's always been kind of a polarizing figure to me because it's like on one hand, I'm like, oh, very well said. On the other hand, I'm like, what in the hell is he talking about? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you know it, it's kind of polarizing that way. So it's hard for me. I don't think, I mean, especially now that I'm, I'm you know, a member of the, the, the quote-unquote media and all that, I can't. I don't like to give an endorsement. I don't like to say this is the first time reporting. Um, endorsing because I have to report on them. I have to give my opinion of them. Right. Um, you know, and, 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 and it's not fair, I don't believe, to the viewers and not fair to what I deem uh, and what I do for a living to be able to say, no, I'm fully buying this guy 100% because then that bias is, you know, it, it gives me a bias. Uh, and then I don't think that's fair to people. Um, but, yeah, Rand's interesting. I mean, I... You know, I'd like what he's been saying recently. I think I think that he's been coming out against you know the war the way he has and things like that. I I think that he's he's a good candidate that 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 way. But but it is weird. He's 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 different enough from his dad that I'm kind of like ah don't know if I can quite get behind him because I like his dad a lot better. Yeah, hey, I, I totally agree, Tyrell. I mean, uh, last time around, we were very revved up in, in New Hampshire and very excited for Ron Paul. And I resisted Rand Paul for the longest time. But, I mean, both parties, you, you know, the, the, Hillary Clinton is just as much as a hawk as friggin' Jeb Bush or Chris Christie, yeah, I, you know? I, 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 I'll put it like this, out of the Republican nomination, the group that said it, I think Rand's probably the better of, of that group. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'll definitely, yeah. you know, I'll definitely say that Rand's definitely said a lot more things that I would agree with out of that right. group than, than, than disagree with. Uh, you know, because that's a, that's a pretty, that's a, that's a carnival of clowns in a car over there. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, we're tripping over him. Yeah, I mean, when you got when you got when you got a neocon warhawk like Bill Crystal oh. talking about splitting the party in two because of Trump's candidacy, you got that raises some eyebrows. You go like, wow, Eric disarray over that. Right. Yeah. No. There. That is one thing I do like is that Trump is basically dismantling the party and, and shitting all over it, and really. Uh, He's got the leaders, the party leadership, dumping their pants, which I like. I really appreciate yeah, that. Oh no, yeah, no, I mean, I, like, I, like, I, I disagree with Trump to live long down a lot of things, but I do like the chaos he's put into the, yes. into the Republican <laughs> party. And I, and I, and I, and I'm secretly, I'm loving the fact that he's turned the entire birther thing now against their own. Because <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, wow, look at the Frankenstein you guys have created. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I've I've sent a lot of I've sent a team Tyrell to Mars and I have reason to believe that Ted Cruz was born on Mars. You know? I you know, it wouldn't surprise me at this point. <laughs> he, he was born on Mars with Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> yeah. So um Tyrell yeah, I, and speaking of man, much, much love and, 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 and respect to, to David Bowie. Oh man. Oh, uh, that was great, a great, great artist, great musician and uh, it's definitely it's definitely tragic that we that we lost him on this plane, but I'm I'm sure wherever the hell he is now. Oh. Uh, he's, he's being David Bowie. He's, he's being amazing. He might be up in the same plane with Michael Rupert, you know. Mm-hmm. It's quite, mm-hmm. it's quite possible, Mike. They're in the same place. They, they might be there together. We, we, we did a tribute to uh, David Bowie. <laughs> we, I also got to do a tribute to Angus Scrim, who played the Tall Man in the Phantasm series. Yeah, I know. We love Angus too, man. We love Lemmy the week before, man. Very, you know, he's one of those. It comes in threes, man. So I think every rock. Every elder rock god right now got to be a nervous. <laughs> and, and through it all, the, the most fucked up thing, Tyrell, is Dick Cheney's fake heart still beats. Mm. <laughs> and David <laughs> Rockefeller. That, that, and I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta wonder, like, and Keith Richards is still alive. Oh, well, you know, I mean, I, 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 I stopped, <laughs> I, you know, Tyrell, I stopped doing heroin 35 fucking years ago, and, you know, I mean, oh, Mick Jagger, and he'll fucking bloody hell here. <laughs> So um, I saw some pictures, Tyrell, recently on Twitter of you over in uh, Russia for the celebration, the 10-year celebration of uh, RT. Um, yeah. Did you get to meet Putin, and what was that trip like? What would you do over there? Well, I, I didn't get to meet the president. Uh, I didn't get to meet Vladimir Putin, but uh, it was an, an extraordinary experience. It was um, absolutely amazing. Uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was really, really, really wonderful being able to be there to celebrate 10 years of RT. Uh, it, it was a, I've never been to Moscow. It was, it was extraordinary to be able to go with Tabitha and, and Sean. Um, you know, it, 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 it just blew my mind. Uh, Moscow's an amazing city. Uh, and, and you forget, you know, you're in the U.S., you know, we're 
twenty some odd years old, you know, maybe thirty years old. That's it. Right. And yeah. um, and uh, but no, Moscow is an amazing city. Uh, it 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 really, you know, it's, it was interesting because I went with my dad and my mother, and um, again, we talk about you know those moments where you know for that generation that went through the Cold War. Uh, you know that was a, that was an amazing experience for my parents uh, to be able to go to Moscow, uh, you know, and, and and see the Red Square and, and see all that. And, and, and it was an amazing moment and a very very nice beautiful trip. Yeah, because for our parents' generation, the Soviet Union were the, the enemies, communism. When you had to fear them, we had to hate them. We had to, you know, they were the we, they were the others, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's and, they, a, and they were fed, and their people were fed the same thing. And I, I don't want mm-hmm. to tell you that the biggest thing that I saw over there was that there's no real differences between people. You know, politically, they might disagree and all that kind of thing, but when you get down to the bare roots of it, the actual people on the street, the everyday person, there's no difference between between the Russians and, the, and Russian citizens, U.S. citizens. They all want the same things. They all want, you know, you know, love for their families and their kids to grow up in a better place. Um, you know, that's the really most remarkable thing is that there's no... You know, there's no, there's no difference really between the two in, in, in terms of the, the basic needs of, of what they what they want in life. Yeah, I think that's essentially true. We recently uh, watched a, uh, I think it was a TNT movie that came out uh, ten years ago with uh, Michael Keaton and Chris O'Donnell called The Company. Uh, Alfred Molina was also in it, and it, it just talks about um, a young CIA agent and a young KGB agent being embedded into the into Russia and into the United States and what that experience was like. And I, I think that rings true. I think there were just, uh, there was a lot of fear on both sides. And I think the, the, the power structures within each country were dictating the terms of how, um, you know, the, the, it was gonna, the whole thing was going to be defined. And it was, you know, maybe it could be uh, whittled down to the, to the fucking chess match between Boris Spassky and Bobby Fischer, really. You know, just a lot of ignorance and a lot of misunderstanding. You know, We're all... oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and and and, and you know, it it, uh, it was it was an amazing, amazing event. So, uh, uh, you know, we get to go and, and be honored for the work that we're doing, and, and be congratulated for the work that we're doing. And, and as a as an artist and a, as a as, as someone who's you know trying to create a good show, it's always nice to to, to you know receive those honors. And you know, you're proud of it. You know, the company that you're working for and, and, and you're trying to do the best job you can and then to go into events like those and you know ten year anniversary and you know when the president of a, of a country gets up and says that that, that you know he, he said some very beautiful words that night and uh, I, I believe he said uh, I'm paraphrasing but I believe he said that you know this is to, to all the people that call us Russian propagandists which is probably the furthest thing from the truth um, <laughs> I've never had that experience working in RT um, but, uh, you know, like, like he, he said that night, he said, you know, the, the creativity and the hard work and, and what we're seeing on screen, if it was truly controlled by the state, it wouldn't be that, it wouldn't have that much creativity and, and hard work and all of that. And it, it wouldn't be done as, as good in a way. We wouldn't have the good programming that we do. Uh, you know, so, you know, it was a great experience and it was a lot of fun. That's great, right. You, you wouldn't be able to say what you really want to say. And watching your show, watching the Hawks, it really comes across like the three of you guys really do get to say what you want to say and what's on your mind and, and what you're thinking and what your uh, opinions are on any given issue. So I think it's a great thing. And one thing I wanted to touch upon before we close here is the recent standoff that's been going on 
um, with uh, Eamon Bundy and uh, what some of the mm. what some of the fallout has been uh, towards your program with covering that. <laughs> well, it's been interesting. It's been interesting because they, you know, like I said on the show, I'm sorry. It's hard for me to get behind the protest that comes with weapons. And the reason I say that is because at the end of the day, uh, a peaceful protest is what you want. You want people to be able to say, you know what, these are some peaceful people who are out there trying to get a point across. And, and yes, there are issues with land rights in this country, and there are and, and there are issues with you know, you know with, with, with property, with you know the feds taking property, and, and all of that. And those are very real issues that need to be discussed and need to be debated and need to be protested. But to show up locked and loaded, you're asking for violence. You're asking for problems. And to me, that really puts a damper on what you, no matter how good the cause, it puts a damper on your cause. And, and I, 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 you know, I'm sorry, there's a lot of armchair patriots, a lot of keyboard wannabe patriots that, that feel that violence is the only way. And I'm sorry, I will never agree with that. I'll never agree with that. And when you and when you show up with a gun, you're asking, you're basically asking for the government to react in violence or react in a in a in a, in a way that's violent. And that's not that that's not what you want. That's not what's going to truly get people behind your cause, because that that plays into the government's hand. It plays into the idea that oh, these people are just violent. Don't take them seriously. You know, these people are just rabble rousers who want to just create. You know, who want to you know. Commit, you know, who can't be trusted, and then when you when you walk in with a with a weapon, I'm sorry that 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 takes away from your cause, you know, and and it, it bothers me, you know, and, and, and it bothers me deeply, you know, it, it you know, I mean, the, the Hammonds have even distanced themselves from the from the protest, saying this is not, I don't know what is said behind closed doors, but publicly they're saying we don't we don't go with this. Yep. I mean, you have the head of the Oath Keeper saying this is a, this is right. a lie. That, that that that's true, Tyrell. And you know, I'm not I'm not someone who wants to take away firearms from law-abiding citizens. But no, I, I, no, that, I, you that's, know, that's apples and oranges. I mean, you know what I mean. It's that, right, the second right. Second Amendment has nothing to do with that protest. But, it's not about but, taking weapons away. Well, no, it's no. About I, how do you how do you protest to get people behind your protest? How do you talk about a cause that's going to say, you know what, I agree with that cause, or I agree with what these people are doing? Right. And you show up and you have people talking about, well, if they come, I'm going to be ready to shoot back. Well, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't. I didn't see the people in Ferguson saying that. No, they, I didn't see the people. I didn't see the people in Baltimore saying that. No, they they they, you know, sh- they showed up unarmed, and I I want to I want to quote my father, who always told me growing up, nothing good ever came out of the barrel end of a gun, and I agree with no, that. No, because to me, and I said it on the show, it's like it's like trying to cause change. <laughs> what what Alan Bundy and them are doing, showing up with guns, it's, it's almost no different than our than U.S. foreign policy. Well, we're going to bring you freedom through the barrel of a gun. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and I'm sorry, freedom doesn't come from a barrel of a gun. A gun is defensive. A gun, you, you know, you, a weapon is, is used in defense. And yes, the Second Amendment is there to protect against tyrannical government. You know, part of that is there. Yes, of course. But that's but, but you, that doesn't mean that you show up to a protest over land rights for the weapon. I don't, I don't think that. That's my opinion. I don't believe that. They're basically well, obviously other people differ from me in that. Well, they're basically being the aggressors, and they don't look good in this situation. I mean, no. and, and that's why they no. only have they only have a dozen people as opposed to a bunch of people because it's not peaceful and it is aggressive. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then it's asking for another Ruby Ridge. It's asking for another land. Don't get me started on that when you, you know, I also find it very funny when you have, you know, commentators on TV who are, you know, partly responsible, I can't remember his name now, partly responsible for what happened at Ruby Ridge, you know, then, you know, denigrating the Black Lives Matter protesters and things like that. It's like, dude, don't even start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a meme that's been playing out since this uh, Ruby Ridge thing. They want to try and say that uh, the the protests and the concerns of the Black Lives Matter community and, uh, you know, greater picture minorities in America. This treatment they've gotten from the police has, has always been, that's that's been business as usual. But now with fo- iPhones and cameras and being able to record things, everything everyone's able to see what's actually been happening. So to close out Tyrell Ventura's State of the Union, what is one big issue or thing to look for in 2016? And keeping them honest down in Washington where you guys are watching the Hawks, what are you guys, what direction are you heading in and, and uh, where should everybody be looking for 2016? Because, as Governor Jesse Ventura says, when you're voting for the lesser of two evils, you're still voting for evil. And I agree with that yes. sentiment. Yes, let's, 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 let, you know, and, I, and, I, and the other big thing, too, is that we are looking at a millennial generation that's going to be one of the most powerful generations that's ever been seen on the face of the earth. Hell yeah. They're going to be, you know, and by 2020, they're going to be 40% of the voting block. You know, they're already 60 for 70% of the workforce. I think that this next generation... Uh, it has the most ingenuity, intelligence. It's a powerful generation, and let's let's help that generation every way we can, because that's the generation that's going to change the world, and they have all the tools 
and, and, and they, have, they have all the tools to do it and they have the mindset to do it. We just have to support them and back them up in that uh, in, in, in any way we can because we can change the world. It's, I think that I have nothing to hope for 2016. People want to be very cynical these days. I'm very much the opposite. I can thank God. You know, actually, I think my co-host Tabitha Wallace for that. You know, I'm very cynical coming out of conspiracy theory and things <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, but, which you can only imagine why. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, working with Tab and, and working with the people over at RT and things like that have given me a lot of hope uh, for, for the future. And I think, I think we're on the precipice of great things. you got to go through a lot of misery to get to goodness. And I think that we're very close to goodness. We just have to keep up the fight and we have to keep our, and we have to stay vigilant. I love that. I love the optimism. And we love Tabitha, too. Please t- uh, send her our best and uh, tell her that Jack and, Jack and Radio loves her work on watching the Hawks and everything she does, especially her trip to Japan there covering the uh, anniversary of the nuclear bombings, which is a whole thing we could get to in another show. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you this, man. Keep watching the Hawks because the next year is going to be a pretty great year. We've done it now. We've got over 100 and some odd shows at the bank. And now we finally yeah. got our feet under us and just be, be prepared because we're coming out strong <laughs> this year. 2016 we're, is the year of watching the Hawks. We're psyched, man. We're psyched, Tyrell. You're, you are a huge inspiration to us, and we love you. And we thank you so much for joining us tonight for your State of the Union. It was great, and uh, we hope to make it down there to D.C. this year, and we'd love to link up with you and uh, you know go out and, and talk about how we can save the world. Hell yes, man. Take care of yourself, <laughs> guys. Much love over to the Jackman Radio. You guys are doing some great stuff. All right, Tyrell, take good care, man. All right, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, beautiful. Great time interviewing Tyrell Ventura, host of Watching the Hawks. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Eric Jackman. Thank you for joining. And I'm Mike Jackman, and tonight's episode, of course, is dedicated to David Bowie and dedicated to Angus Scrim. Thank you all, and to wherever they are in the universe, we love you and have a great night. Stop.